following your order, the Peace River Town Council regular meeting for Monday, August the 26th, 2019 to order. Let the record show that we started at two minutes after five. The, um, the agenda should be in front of all the councillors. Uh, are there any additions, Mr. Parker? We have one, Your Worship, is 8.6 RFD meeting with Minister of Service, uh, Alberta. Any deletions? Uh, there are not. Well, is there a motion from the floor to accept the agenda as amended? Second. Um, uh, hopefully, councillors have read through the minutes of the August 12, 2019 regular meeting. Um, are there any uh, changes that need to be made to those minutes? Okay, all in favor of Councillor Good's motion? Passed. Any public hearings, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Uh, very good. So we have a presentation today from uh, the great folks at ADCO. Well, that's a good introduction. <laughs> My name is Carol Broderib, and I am officially the customer sales representative for the Northwest region. Uh, you know Barry. Uh, his title is a little different this year. He's now operations supervisor. I think it just means they gave him more work. Uh, that would be about the size of it. I have uh, sort of three things we're going to talk about. Oh, turn me on here. Do you need to get closer? Oh, I can hear myself now. If it feeds back, then we'll have to separate. Okay. We'll try not to have any scary results like that. Uh, so I think in front of you, you've got your <coughs> Town of Peace River 2018 franchise report. So you're going to have to cast your mind back a little bit. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward report. Uh, overall, listing your sites. Whoops, where are we going to come on here? There we go. Uh, total number of sites, you can see not much has changed from 2017 to 2018. Uh, your franchise fee and taxes, uh, your numbers haven't changed from last year and that you're still at 7%. And you can see that um, you were at 665 and change for 2018. And then we have your uh, forecasted. Um, would have been good for them to tell me how close we are to the forecast since we're already three quarters in, but uh, that's a secret. They do give you this number at the bottom here just to let you know what your potential increase could be if you were to up your franchise fee by a percentage. So that is available to you to decide. Uh, I believe we have to be, have your decision by the end of September because the AUC takes to take their uh, good time to peruse through all of our requests and things. Then we have these Safety and Sadie numbers, which are always challenging. I can speak a little bit to that. So the the safe the safety uh, numbers are the uh, on average on their feeders to the town. So basically, there's two feeders, uh, two uh, main lines coming to town. So the safety just means the frequency that the customer will see outages, and the safety numbers are basically a duration of them. So you've actually went down a little bit in, in those for from last from seventeen to two thousand eighteen. So. And then the ADCO average is, uh, again, at 17 is at four and five respectively. So you guys are actually down according to the ADCO electric system. So you guys are seeing a little bit less outages and a duration, although if you're in an area that uh, 
may see a bit more obvious than others, but on average, it, the town's been actually pretty good. So, and we're, we're pretty fortunate to live close to West Peace Sub, so that's our, our main feeders of the town. So, one along where it crosses the bridge and there's no on North Bend 221 line. So, it, uh, the numbers are actually not too bad. Uh, we've had some uh, pretty good luck uh, a couple years ago. We did some cable injection on the North End on our what's called our 5 KV systems put in, in the late 70s. And we spent probably a good three months in there injecting uh, our cables to give them another probably 20 to 30 years of life on them. So that, uh, that has definitely helped. Although the first year I was a little concerned, but uh, it actually worked out most of the kinks on that. So it's been actually really good. So knock on wood, it's been it's pretty good. And the thing with underground, it's a tough, tough beast because most of them are looped. So if you have a section of cable out, you can actually loop it around and try to feed it for another ways or another uh, spot. So you but that's been pretty positive. So. You you go back to the, the uh, feeder? True. So is that an indication of downtime? No, that's duration. Well, duration, uh, Tom. So what is it on average? Like you'll get some areas depending where, if you got to say a switch out for six hours, on we'll just use that as a number, and then you may have another area on for maybe three. So if you add your remote, that's what our customer, your customer will see within the whole town. Some areas are more than last day. So like in a south end, again, if you have, say, a line, con that also consideration with line contacts, all, all outages, uh, storm-related uh, equipment failures, that type of thing. So. Right, so so in 2018, it was 0.34 mm -hmm. versus 1.78. Right. So you're saying that's the lower, the better? Yes, that's right. Yeah, you bet. That's the, that's the frequency, the amount of time. So on average, your customers in the town will see an outage. And it gets really difficult to pick on individual uh, 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 customers, that, for example, because again, some will see more, some less. So, but that is the average of the town would see. What is that? Just from my own understanding, it's a number, mm -hmm. and it's a summary average. But it's a, what is the number? Minutes, hours, days? percentage. That's a, it's it's actually the, the the index frequency. So what it is is just how many outages you will see on an average year on our feeder. Okay, but here's my confusion. It's it's, it's in hours. That's in hours. Yeah, yeah. So basically, there was about a half an hour's worth of outages. Yeah, on per customer per in the, within the town. Yeah, right. and that's off of me, Peter. Yeah, so it's kind of okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a goal for that? Well, we just want to where our goal on average. So we, that gets reported to EUC. So and you can see on our average on there too. We want to want to see. So we're trying to follow the Canadian Electrical uh, Association averages. So we're actually below our targets or adequate in general. Like some areas get to see a lot of outages depending on. The amount of uh, uh, stuff going on, storm related stuff. So we're, we're below the average, which is good. Okay. Uh, so this is pretty straightforward uh, projects that we've uh, been working on. Uh, we rotate through communities <coughs> and projects because, of course, there are quite a few communities in our area. I would say that in the town of Peace River, probably the um, Unexpected things due to the building of the bridge would be our unplanned project for 2018 2019 and probably going into 2020. Uh, you know, just things that I don't think anybody thought of and that come up. So, that, that's been uh, probably our biggest contribution in the last little bit to Peace River. Um, Sorry, just to touch on those programs too. So, these are ongoing programs that. Uh, so bulb replacement, we used to go on a, I think it was a five year rotation, but now as the conversion to LED lighting is going on, we're finding a lot less issues with the LED lights. So that's, that's been a positive ground rod testing. We uh, actually go around periodically and test ground rods, and especially in a river valley, depending on moisture levels, if you're in a rocky area, the, 
Grounds may not test as well, so we have to go back and test and go back and actually pound more ground rounds to get the ground levels down to acceptable levels. So, and then of course, and, and other than the streetlight davit ones that are going on right now, there's that project going on. You'll see the guys uh, doing some uh, streetlight davit. That's the steel poles. They're doing some replacements now in town. The ones that we identified, but be an orange or a red tag on them. So, so and I go have a goal to get us to uh, LED complete, hundred percent. Well, we did a proposal a while ago, Tom. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we're, we had asked to see if, if they're interested in, in converting over. So uh, that was presented at the time. I think probably there's a little bit of cost issues there. But uh, eventually, as, as the lights fail, we, we are replacing with LEDs. So. Uh, so what you see on here is that you're at 76 LED, but I had a report pulled today, and we're at actually at 87. So it's a little higher. So the process is when the light quits working, that's when we convert it to LED as just sort of a natural transition. And what else have we got in here? So if we did it on this uh, as lights fail uh, scenario, how long do you think it would be to get the whole town down? I can tell you, Tommy, it depends on failure rates of high pressure sodium. So. Um, some communities have decided to go with the LED program, and like for example, we're converting Fairview right now as we speak. Hines Creek's nest on our, our on our list. The uh, town of High Level and the town of Rainbow Lake have, have decided to go with the LED program. So okay, yeah, just just for reference, yeah. Just so, so if somebody went around shooting up the <laughs> sodium lights, <laughs> I involved the RCMP corporate security. Yeah. Well, I think. Orland and Councillor Byron and Scam uh, Needham have uh, 22s in there. But one other note I'll put forward is uh, we're also converting uh, all the uh, lights on the neighborhood renewal projects to LED as we go through on those projects. Right. And then Director Callum, myself, are kind of evaluating a program coming forth in the next uh, budget. Uh, cycle as to what it would look like to replace all those lights that's yeah that's been and that's touched on it absolutely so and as we're going changing tablets we are putting led lights up too so so we don't have to go back and then you get the, the benefit of the led light right away and as jim said we're doing 103rd street and then everything down on the south end right now so but that's that's on that uh, remediation project so great great so the numbers will be, I think, substantially higher for next year. Uh, as far as what we've been up to in the community, um, we helped out with the uh, air show this year. <coughs> oh, Peace Airfare Show. Yeah. Not quite sure what that typo was, didn't count it. Uh, I was also at the trade show this year uh, talking about safety, hoping to catch as many of our farming folk as possible. The challenges that are always with high loads moving granaries and whatnot uh, and then the last page is basically just your uh, explanation of our terms which is probably a good thing for me uh, my number is <coughs> excuse me is on here and if you use the local number for ACO it gets to me as well so either way we have a new uh, service point representative for those of you who call in and her name is Wanda so she got my job I got Pam's job. Pam got to retire. Kathy's still in the office. So that's sort of the short, the short version of what's going on at ACO. Okay. And do you have any questions on that? Yeah. On the streetlights, uh, 1177, does that 
Is that just downtown, or does that include uh, the main highway going through town? That's all your lights. That's all your lights. Yeah, because you're still you're still having the town. So as as Alberta Transportation is doing the taking, they're taking over some lights along Highway Two. So actually, all the and that's been the direction from the transportation minister with the previous government is that they will be <coughs> as they move forward because we uh, the ones that they own they're going to be taken or, or pay for it they're going to be taking over them so along here right now uh, ADCO did own the lights you guys are paying for it, the town was and as they're moving forward with the bridge we're taking lights out and they're taking ownership of those now so okay so, that, so we're that taking that out of your includes the stuff on the highway then yes anything that's on a numbered highway so weberville highway two and actually even the judah road here too so uh, um, the other thing I just want to mention to you folks too, so uh, as you know, the uh, there's high loads coming through, so we've been uh, asked by uh, ACON and that, so we're escorting loads, and I, there's up to 85 loads coming through, right, for the bridge. I, mean, I imagine you're all aware of that, so we're we're helping escort them uh, right from the siding at uh, Savage by Reno and then escorting them, and I think they were planning on two a day, so this has been going okay so far from what I've heard, so I've heard any, any uh, hiccups of that, so. We've all started watching the feed on the bridge now. When they were swinging in those big pieces of whatever they were the other day, we were all, you know, watching it. So it's kind of exciting. There is another uh, program going on right now with ACO. As you know, we don't get to just sit down and decide to change our right our rates. It is something that has to go through AUC. It has to be approved. So we have um, created these proposed rates where we would like to see change, and I. I am proud to say that most of them are a huge benefit to the customer. I was happy to see it and very logical things that will make my life easier. So I was excited about that. So these are the five uh, basic ones you're looking at. Small rate technologies. So for instance, if you were going to put Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi on Main Street and you had to put up little tiny transmitters, instead of paying the same rate you would for a commercial development, you would pay this small technology rate. Uh, and this is a this is a huge improvement because most of these small technology items are four watts, six watts, like they're just nothing. So to pay to pay a big fee on them is is unfortunate. So we're asking for that. Um, EV is electric vehicle. A level three charger is uh, the fastest charger. I'll show you a little bit about that a bit later. Then we have the low use residential rate. This would be what I call a cabin rate. So maybe you only use a small amount of power over the course of 12 months. This would be an option instead of, if you have a place at five star and you uh, connect and disconnect and connect and disconnect and you're paying service fees and it's kind of a lot of effort, this would mean that if your use at your holiday location was low enough, it would just be on all the time and it would be averaged over a year. The time of use residential rate, this is not a new idea, but it is new to Alberta. They're doing a pilot program in Grand Prairie, and this would be if you could not use much power between four o'clock and nine o'clock in the afternoon, evening, uh, your rates would be less. Not such a difficult thing to do now that we have programmable appliances. Instead of throwing on the dishwasher, the washing machine, uh, the microwave, like everything on when you get home at five o'clock. It would allow to uh, a little distribution of the use. And then the last one is a street light rate. And this is really, uh, really a good one too. Right now, the difference from the cost of running an investment light to a non-invested light, the, the ratio they show you is 1.7 to one. 
or would be 1.7 to 1 versus 2.4 to 1 right now. And I have a slide that explains that one a little better. So um, as I mentioned, uh, if you probably just look here at the nice little savings graph, that's the most exciting part on here. This is your small technology rate. So we're actually, we call it D22, and you actually would be looking at a pretty substantial uh, savings on that. Um, you may have things already running on it, and the goal is to automatically move 2,000 sites that are currently um, running this kind of equipment. Automatically, we're just gonna move them to the lower rate to save the customer money. So if they haven't heard about it, it doesn't matter. They'll get the savings, providing the AUC agrees. Um, with your electric vehicle charging, this one is a little more um, complex. Again, if the town of Peace River said, uh, we're going to be modern and put in a uh, type three charger at the office here, and your bylaw officer is gonna drive around in an electric car, and you wanted to have the fastest charger, this would be kind of what you're looking at. So instead of paying at a regular commercial rate, you get a, a cut for it. So uh, something to think about. Um, this is, I talked about the cabin rate. Here's your actual numbers here of what you would be looking at saving. So $12 a month. Um, this is before your actual um, usage from your retailer. This D13 I thought was really interesting. So they're piloting it as Grand Prairie, as I said, to give it a go. Um, so your usage doesn't come down, but your wires charges come down. That big fat number from ATCO, that's the one that's gonna come down. And then it doesn't matter whether your retailer agrees with our idea or not, it's not affecting them. It's, it's just ATCO that is uh, making the adjustments there. And then here's a better picture of your street light rates. So, uh, for some of our smaller communities um, that still haven't decided about invested lights or non-invested lights, I think this will be an advantage for them. Uh, it might give them the potential to, to move forward with it. The reason that you're looking at these is because they have asked us to record opinions about these rates. So, give me some opinions and ask me some questions. With regards to all five of those projects? Mm -hmm. Your or pick one that interests you. So just interesting that the time of use residential rate is something that you're talking about today because I spent some time in Ontario this year and they're, they're heavily invested in it. Um, as a matter of fact, the uh, uh, thermostat for the furnace and the controller for the air conditioning, air conditioner all provided through Ontario Hydro. So it monitors it um, and you can tell what your usage how much you're spending like in the moment right you can touch the the control and it shows you all the things that you're spending and I, I have a lesson in that you know from my senior aunt and her husband on sort of how it really benefits seniors because they don't need to do all of their power consumption during those peak hours so they, they see it as a huge win but uh, I was like I wonder why Alberta's not doing that it's because it's just coming around the so that's exciting. That's, that, yeah, we are hoping for approval there. It, it, it does require uh, certainly some technology changes for us because of how we're metering currently. 
um, it seems a little mysterious to well, those of us in the field. It is. Well, and it, we've been AMR probably one of the first companies in Canada to go with automated meter reading, but the problem being it's it actually a lot of technology is there, but it's to record and to get the rates is, is actually part of the issue. It's like how much your rate off peak, how much rate during peak hours, right? Uh, you know, for large industrial customers, it gets a bit easier. You can have a meter, it's about $1,500 for this meter, and for metering, you can pick up that data. So now with this AMI uh, technology that they're now proposing that the cost of meters come way down, and now that uh, there's an appetite for this new rate, it's actually, you're right, it does help. So, you know, we, we do know and uh, that the peak loads is, is sucker time, especially in wintertime, you know, kids come home from school, you know, suckers going on, and you, you know, we see it in our grid, right? So this is one way to offset it. So if you know you can, if you have the opportunity to you know, run your dishwasher off peak hours, that type of thing, right? That this helps, and now we can actually record that. So. And for the people I've talked to, it's about 50-50. People would say they would always choose convenience over the savings, and then the other half say, like myself, who are truly frugal at heart, is that I would always pick the savings over the convenience. That would just be the thought that I could just save money by not running my dishwasher between these hours, that just seems too, too easy, too easy for me. So this is geared towards um, residential, that particular one. I have no idea what you're speaking of. <laughs> well, I'm kind of going, well, I'll wait till the, till the dishwasher, another hour, another hour, by the gets to midnight, See, you, you would be the ideal candidate for this. You know, if you have a crock pot, you know, you can shut it off at four and it'd still be hot when you got home at five. I've, I've given this some serious thought. Um, so it is exciting. Uh, we expect to hear back from the AUC at Q2. Uh, sometimes things that we think are really a great idea uh, don't necessarily come through. Um, there are higher powers with more wisdom or, or something up there. Uh, what about the holiday rate? Do any of you have your cabins? Yeah, some of the more prosperous council members have got cabins. So, but, so, so the, before you move on to the the uh, that, can we talk about electric vehicles? So, what you're saying, you're, these are proposed rates, is what mm -hmm. this is. So, you're not proposing to build a system of of uh, chargers for electric cars. In the next presentation, I'm going to show you how the government of Alberta would like to subsidize sure. you spending yeah, I, money. Right, that's um, what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. So. Part of this time of day rate is because we envision electric vehicles are, you know, it's going to take us longer here because we're like that in the north of Alberta. Uh, but as they come in, we have to worry about peak of day charging. So if everybody in one block came home and plugged in their electric vehicle and everything instantly started charging, there would be a concern. You know, would we be causing a brownout, that sort of thing. So part of the idea of time of day is that that would lower um, that, would lower that specific uh, period of time when people are likely to be charging their cars. I would assume that like all technology, that um, an EV charger is quite capable of having um, a timing mechanism in it, you know, that it starts charging at midnight or, you know, whatever the, uh, the arrangement is. It seems like you can run pretty much everything from your phone, so you can probably charge your car, get it going from your phone as well. So the EV concept is, it is coming. Like, we're, we're seeing a fair bit of adoption. We have a, a department of volunteer geeks. 
um, at ACO and one of them owns a Tesla 3 and he he went on his road trip for the summer to California and he sent regular posts about how far he got and where he charged and what he learned and and so it's quite it's quite interesting and we do have some electric vehicle drivers in our area as well so it's not completely unheard of here surprisingly uh, one of the biggest arguments for it is the lack of maintenance required on an electric vehicle compared to what we're used to in an internal combustion engine. That would probably be the biggest um, pro I hear and the biggest con would be what about cold weather. So I've been doing some research about cold weather um, and we'll kind of talk about it as we go along. Um, so this flow charger that you see here, you don't pay for um, <coughs> charging the same way that you would pay at home you would have like a flow account card you know that you're going to scan through and it actually uh, records it by time so why electric vehicles um, energy efficiency the technology minimizes cost while meeting driving needs reduce greenhouse gas emissions environmental damage I'm not actually sure if Peace River has an carbon plan or any of those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, ultimately the goal, well, and this goal may change depending on who gets elected, uh, electric vehicles by 2040. So this program that they're offering through the Municipal Climate Change Action Center uh, would be open to Peace River. And it does cover several kinds of vehicles. So it's not like they have, you know, everybody has to drive a, a Volt or whatever, it's, it's open definitely. So you could have uh, strictly electric vehicles or you can go with the hybrids. The stipulation on the hybrids is that it has to be a hybrid that plugs in, as opposed to some of you, uh, there's Toyotas where the electric and the gas just go back and forth and, and that kind of thing, a little bit different there. Um, and the external, the internal combustion engine, of course, is what we would think about here because it's gonna give us that extra range <clears throat> Three kinds of chargers. Um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the term trickle charger, you know, for a car battery, that kind of thing. So when you're looking at a 120 outlet, that's basically about the slowest way you can charge your car. Um, <clears throat> the level two at a 240, so similar to what you have for your uh, stove or your dryer, that kind of thing. And then you've got your 480, uh, which is not something I don't think generally people would put in their home, but it would certainly be. Um, something at your um, bus garage or uh, you know something where you were gonna um, capitalize on it <clears throat> when they put the um, they put a corridor in with electric chargers from Edmonton to Calgary and there's a few now going down into the states and when they went into the little towns where they were gonna put the chargers and they said how where where do you want this this charger like where should we put it and they said well most of them wanted it near their tourist information because they said people will park here, they'll plug in for half an hour and then they'll walk through the town, they'll go into the tourist information, find out what's around. They didn't want it out on the highway where no one would go anywhere. And I thought, that is very clever, like, you know, if you're gonna have it. So, um, so there is the corridor down there, they're coming along. Uh, you can go onto a website and find all the places to charge your vehicle. Uh, I went on just to see if it's true and it really is. 
So there's three aspects of it. One is the feasibility study. Uh, obviously, you're not just going to leap in and spend the Peace River residents' money without giving it some thought. Um, so there is <clears throat> to a maximum of $6,000, so 50%. And there is uh, one feasibility study per municipality. So if you wanted to find out whether this makes any sense for you, um, this is just your basic uh, process. Um, as you can imagine, ATCO is in fact a qualified feasibility study person. So uh, we do have our, our finger in the pie for sure. These are what you're basically looking at for a passenger EV. And um, this is an example. There are certainly more on the market. Something for you to, uh, to look at there. The rebates vary depending on whether it's totally electric or not. This is probably the most interesting um, technology we're seeing now are serious work vehicles that are now electric. And I think that's really exciting because that makes the whole thing so much more believable. And when you're looking at replacing a diesel engine that basically runs 12 to 24 hours a day, I think that that's quite an achievement if you can even eliminate one or two. And as you see here, you got your Zamboni that can run electrically. And there are, again, <clears throat> it's really up to you to, to see if there is something that you would want to consider. Uh, I know the school bus market is, uh, is certainly out there because one of the most expensive things for the school bus is the repair. So I, I think there's probably some school boards humming and hawing. Uh, the city of St. Albert is using electric buses and they have a charging terminal where the bus pulls in and it charges from the top. And so it sits and charges and then off it goes and does its route. And I met a couple from Demet, Alberta and they drive into Grand Prairie, do all their errands and can get back to the farm on one charge. And if they're worried, they pull into PV Mark, who has a charger. So that was probably the most realistic. And I said to him, what would be your biggest advice? He said, to keep it warm in the winter. That that is your biggest uh, loss, is you can lose up to 40% of your distance. But if you get, if you have it parked inside a warm space, and if not, where you have it parked, you have a steering wheel heater and a seat heater that can come on before you turn the vehicle on. It really reduces the amount you're using to heat the cabin of the car. And I thought, oh, that, I mean, that makes good sense for all of us. Um, really, you know, that's what we mostly want when we get in the vehicle. We don't want cold hands or cold butts, so that, that makes pretty good sense. So I have uh, printed off this presentation. It's also just available uh, from their websites. So there is also then the, um, subsidy on the actual charging station itself. So you've got the charge, you've got the feasibility study, you've got the vehicle itself, and then the charging station. So something to think about. Um, I was concerned that perhaps some of these things would disappear uh, with the change in government, but they seem to be going forward, so that's <coughs> exciting. And uh, like I said, the website is there. Uh, there are communities who are already running them. Um, I'm hoping that when we're at the AUMA, uh, that there will be, we'll be able to see you know, which communities are doing what with electric vehicles, because I think that's really where the proof is when you actually meet the, the communities who are doing it. And that, I believe, is that. Questions? If you think of anything about those rates that you want to tell me, 
I'm only an email away. So, you know what, I do kind of want to touch base a little bit on the small technologies rate. Mm -hmm. um, although I am very much appreciative of the, uh, you know, the <coughs> low uh, cabin rate. <laughs> so you know I'm in favor of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the small technologies, so is, is it common when you Im, uh, improve like we do with the uh, with the street lights, um, things like cross street crossings, is it is it just do they now make them all energy more energy efficient, and is that kind of the way of the future, just like it is when we change up our light bulb, our street lights to LEDs? So I'm I'm just looking at that, and and I mean you use two um, uh, examples, street crossings and Wi-Fi attachments as examples in, in the, those rates, which are obviously something municipalities think about. So for instance, uh, if you have a, uh, a flashing uh, light in the middle of a divide, right, or something for a crosswalk, that's generally a metered site. So you are, you are paying a street light rate, which isn't a bad rate, right? but a small technology rate would probably bring it down uh, even farther. Okay. So it's, it's, that's kind of your your difference there. But it's surprising how much small technology there is, your red light cameras, um, all those kinds of things. And we can't attach them to your light standards and run them that way because your light standards uh, are turned off during the day. So your technology wouldn't be there for you during the day. So they actually have to be powered sites separate from your streetlights. Yeah, and in the meter load settlement with the provincial government, we get to account for, although it's not a lot of energy use, we still have to account for it. Right. So we have to meter in some fashion, right? So, yeah. I mean, Valaview, for example, has it with their helipad uh, at the hospital, right? So they're actually attached. So we gotta make sure those are energized, but there's a rate for that. So, but it's, it's, it's like Carol said, it's better than having a, an actual full functioning commercial rate just for a white Or some rate. little, yeah, some little use. Um, the, the only exception I've really seen to that would be uh, in Lloydminster when they put red lights for the uh, airport. So they have the red lights on top of their street lights so that the pilot can see where the road is and where they shouldn't be. Um, and those ones, they just get added right to the regular street light rate. But for the most part, any kind of small technology is currently paying this big rate unless we have found a way to create special four watt lights so we need we need a way to do it um, that is simple and straightforward and saves the customer money because wi-fi is not going away now or the many other things that I mean, it's hard to keep up i'm sure every day somebody's sending you a proposal to do something to the town i like that idea just for interest too uh, the town of fairview has pursued that too on, on their main street to look at a wi-fi and that's where actually carol got quite involved to help them out to see, you know, and that's where this, these rates are going to be probably pretty effective for them because versus a full-blown commercial rate, I mean, you can have a, a nice, hopefully, a little Wi-Fi type of rate, right? Yeah, because it's really, encourage, it, right? it's kind of part of their beautification or updating of Fairview, so they don't really have a big dollar amount to spend on it, but it's something that their residents were asking for. And I think it also connects now to the, um, the arena, so when they've got hockey teams and that kind of stuff in, that they will also have free Wi-Fi in there. So I thought that was uh, a worthwhile thing. Our only concern right now that we still have to sort out is joint use, is that generally when we put something on one of our poles, we have to have some kind of an agreement because we don't really like other people on our poles. Right. We 
things that maybe could go in the front about um, electricity and high loads and planting trees and things just general information for residents because I'm sure they come to you asking okay. you can, I'll leave Thank my card you. there too if there's any operational issues so my chat last with Jimmy's been very helpful <laughs> and so it's been really good so I'll leave my card yeah, there too what, what, what operations are okay. too okay just bang on the office door across the, across <laughs> yeah. the hall for me <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Bert. decisions on the grants to groups application by miserable miles um, go ahead mr Town. good evening your worship and council before you is a, a request for a decision regarding the miserable miles grant application as you know the miserable miles group was at the last council meeting and discussed their application again a continuation of their successful event that's been going on for several years and uh, this year is looking to bring in 300 participants which is a good um, economic benefit for the town um, brings a little bit of activity to the site into the town so they made a corresponding grant request to uh, the town for this event uh, their request was for five thousand dollars um, and that's one of the options that's being provided to council to meet the request amount. Uh, another option that's been provided by staff is to provide funding in the amount of $3,000, which is what has been provided in the past. And based on their application, they do have um, one item in there, which is their chip timer. Um, it's not event specific. It's something that could be used at future events. So staff considered scaling down their request based on on the inclusion of that item. Uh, third option is to provide a different amount depending on what council sees fit. Or the final option is to decline to provide any funding for their their obstacle race. So again, you uh, had a chance to hear the application, ask questions at the last meeting. Um, and based on that, the administration's recommendation is that council provide $3,000 in funding to the miserable miles um, to assist with their costs associated with hosting the 2019 miserable miles obstacle race for, for the upcoming year. You probably should clarify that even though it's called miserable miles, the people that run it are actually quite, uh, quite affable. Way, way more than they should be based on the event, yes. Okay. Anybody want to make a motion on this one? And your motion is? Uh, your Worship, my motion is for uh, the administration's recommendation that we provide $3,000 in funding to the miserable miles to assist with the cost. 
cost of hosting the 2019 or 2019 miserable mile obstacle race. Well, That's passed. Thank you. Um, uh, so that takes us to new business. There's a briefing note, uh, land use bylaw refresh. Okay. Uh, so I'm here to present uh, the land use bylaw survey uh, results to council to keep you guys in the loop with respect to where we're at uh, in the land use bylaw refresh process. So we have been working on this for a while. Um, in January of 2019, we launched an online survey to ask uh, town residents to give us some feedback about the land use bylaw, how it's been functioning for them, and also some questions uh, related to some specific types of development. The survey itself included 16 questions and we had 203 people start the survey with uh, 159 motivated people finishing it up at the end. Uh, 159 responses represents 3% of our town population 15 years and older, which is the, the people that we did have re reply to the survey. And we've got the results uh, attached for your information. Before I go, go into them, I just a reminder about where we are. Uh, we're still kind of in the startup and draft document phases of the project. So we have completed our survey. We're still working on research and issue identification. And we've got the survey report. So once uh, council has received it for information, we will also be sharing it publicly. So we'll put it onto the web page, which is uh, there's a project page on the planning and development page of the East River website and we'll just share that correspondingly uh, through our social media channels, etc. In terms of the uh, next steps after that, we're hoping to continue to draft the document and uh, with it, the survey results providing some uh, direction to us or at least some food for thought to, to inform our decisions on uh, the document. And once we do that, uh, we will have that document hopefully to present to the public and to, to have a second round of survey so that we can ask them some more questions once we've got specific direction about what the intended thing or direction is within the land use bylaw after which we'll finalize the document to bring it to council hopefully for the bylaw adoption process in terms of the actual results themselves so i mentioned we had 203 people start and 159 complete uh, the majority of those people were town residents 92 percent and we had good coverage across all of our major residential neighborhoods in terms of uh, who was responding. Uh, we did have a number of people from the town of Grimshaw respond, and um, and then a number of people who, there are the people who were not in the major residential neighborhoods identified themselves as either in the Pines, um, on the West Hill, so probably some of our country residential residents, and uh, the Cool Springs Trailer Park. In terms of ages, we did have good representation across all age groups. Uh, the uh, 30 to 39 year olds are the most overrepresented in our responses and the uh, 65 plus and 20 to 24 year olds, 15 to 19 year olds were the most underrepresented. Uh, the majority of our respondents own their residents, 24% uh, rent. So we do have an underrepresentation of renters compared to our, our population. And um, we have only 13% of the respondents own a property other than their home, and only 19%, actually, eight, sorry, 18% uh, own a business, own or operate a business within the town. 
Uh, in terms of people's experience with the land use bylaw, uh, the majority of people don't have experience with the land use bylaw, which is not surprising because you only come into contact with it if you are looking to do a development and need a development permit uh, for the majority of the time. And so 75% were, were not experienced or hadn't undergone any development processes. Um, of those who, and only, a, sorry, 80, 81% had not applied for a development permit. So some people had previously consulted the bylaw and not gone forward, um, but, and a smaller number actually proceeded and actually had a experience with the development permit process. Uh, in terms of how we change our bylaw, uh, we asked how people, um, if they look for notifications within the, our local newspaper, because that has been our practice previously for advertising, uh, and only 25% uh, of people are actively paying attention to those announcements. Uh, on the converse, the way we typically advertise an on-site or development is on-site through a posted sign, and there, um, the majority of people did feel that at the posted sign was sufficient for providing a notification about a specific development on a specific site. In terms of how people would prefer to be uh, informed about changes or new developments. Um, there was a preference for specifically uh, addressing individual people, so either through a mail letter or an email letter, uh, and then uh, a website and social media in terms of the electronic uh, general means of communication was preferred over being posted on the development site or the local newspaper. So local newspaper is down at the bottom. So that is a change in terms of how we've previously um, done our work, but also is and the change to the public notification bylaw opens us up to altering the way we're notifying for the, the changes to the line use bylaw. So we're kind of moving in that general direction as it is. Um, so this was an opportunity for people to give us some ideas about how they feel about uh, development in general within the town. Uh, we did ask about the degree to which people would like to have some flexibility within the decision-making process versus very prescriptive uh, regulations. Um, and definitely the majority did see the merit of having some flexibility depending on the circumstances and merits of an individual application compared to uh, black and white rules. Um, the majority of people who responded have not been negatively um, affected by development in the past. So that's a positive thing, but of those people who did feel that they have been negatively um, affected in the past, they did uh, give us some themes about how that they had been negatively affected, including things like receiving a decision that they, they didn't like, either as a, at appeal or for uh, an individual development. Uh, there's also concerns around property lines and people encroaching, so issues between neighbors. Um, the proximity between incompatible uses, uh, this gravel pit along the Shaftesbury Trail and its proximity to the Shaftesbury neighborhood uh, was one of the ones that came out as a specific there. Um, they've also pointed to a lack of clarity around what's considered a modular home compared to a manufactured home, which is definitely on our list as one of the items that we'd like to address in the bylaw. Um, notification around the bylaw, obviously if you are surprised by a change and you're not in favor of it, but you definitely have a negative impression of that. And then some of the issues that have come up recently around cutting trees also featured in the responses. 
Uh, we did also ask if there were ways that people would like to see development regulated differently in the town. Uh, the majority said no, but a greater proportion than in the previous response did say yes. And we did have a number of people who gave proactive suggestions for how they'd like to see some changes or the types of issues that they'd like to see the town tackle, some of which we can do during the land use bylaw, others which we would take a more strategic approach uh, that's not specific to the, the land use bylaw refresh. Um, specific to that, uh, creating different aesthetic standards for the redevelopment, uh, particularly in downtown, um, encouraging a mix of commercial and residential buildings, dealing with some of our derelict buildings in town, uh, and there's a whole list, so I'm not going to read them all. Uh, but there's a number of things that some of which we'll tackle during this project, others which uh, we can kind of put on the back burner for when we maybe do some more strategic planning after the light file refresh is done. Um, let's see here. So in another question that we had was if people um, wanted the light file to provide certainty when there's development uh, that's near to them and there was a over 50% believe that it's very important for the line bylaw to provide some certainty. So that's a little bit contrary to that circumstances and merits uh, question that we previously asked. So it definitely shows the need to, to balance between providing certainty and clarity for people, but also making sure that we're flexible enough where we're making our decisions to address uh, upcoming, uh, upcoming items. And then our last question dealt with some specific types of developments that uh, we were wondering where people are standing on. Uh, the first two were, uh, so here, aside from Councillor Scamahorn, struggling with the red and the green. Um, so green means ghost, people are agreeing with the statement and red is uh, that they are not. So overall, um, the statements were largely agreed with. Uh, but the first two uh, relating to landscaping and lighting there was a broad support across the respondents that they would like to see standards for landscaping and for lighting uh, within new developments. Uh, there's a more varied support for architectural design. There was almost 50%, but uh, also a, a large proportion of the respondents who didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. Um, we definitely had less support for uh, new development being required to have a more main street style development particularly up on the west hill more support in the downtown which makes sense because that's more consistent with the development pattern that's there today uh, we had pretty good support for bicycle parking and requiring more of it in town and also to allow secondary suites or garage suites within all the residential neighborhoods of town which i think is one of the items based on the responses and kind of the comments associated with them where we're most likely to run into some controversy and uh, people having very strong opinions one way or the other and those that are opposed being very opposed but also having others on the flip side. Um, variable digital uh, messaging there's definitely that was one of the areas where there was the strongest uh, dislike for, for variable digital messaging but also a certain number of people who don't have a particular dislike of it and don't really want to see additional regulations associated what you, with what it. What do you mean by digital messaging? Uh, the, all of the, the new electronic boards that can change their message. We do have yeah. a, a strong number or a growing number of them, particularly in the downtown area of town. And that came up in a number of the comments as a concern for some people. It, it does, but unfortunately starting off with no new digital, I agree. Yeah. There should be no 
know the digital science, it's only 19% that agree that there should be no new digital science. 19%? Oh, I'm looking at the graph above it. I'm glad that you actually brought that up, Don, because I felt like that question wasn't like when should you should have been the opposite. It, yeah, it seems like you're saying no new digital, and you agree there should be no new digital, or you disagree that yeah, I felt that the question was maybe a little bit, and that's why the results looked interesting to me. Like they were well, even then, it's 40% yeah. disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Or 40% agree mm -hmm. and 60% don't care or okay with it. Yeah. So it could be a controversial one. It could be controversial. I, I think that there is, some people are very concerned about the, the number and the brightness and the impact that they have and the look, the aesthetic of them, but then there are others. I think particularly a lot of business owners who find them quite useful. So. Yeah, it's another potential controversial one. Uh, less, slightly less controversial is shipping containers being acceptable in commercial areas, which I think is a positive uh, thing this direction because um, we definitely do have some un informally within our downtown already. Um, and I think as long as we're regulating them appropriately, that's something, a change that we can make to allow ourselves to be able to deal with them um, and support the varying storage needs that our commercial area has uh, and then where there was oh i think well it's very clearly split three ways between not really having an opinion being a for or against is more restrictions and regulations around modular so i think there there needs to be more information and conversation about what that really means i'm not sure that the population knows what a modular building is and that also came through with uh, some of the other responses to the questions around the questions around what it is. What does that actually mean? So, one of the comments earlier in the in the section above talked about um, temporary housing and homeless shelters, and the word is address. Mm -hmm. Well, all of the others have a positive or negative, um, either promoted or discouraged or whatever, mm -hmm. lower, allow, require, etc. And then this one has a, a totally neutral sentence. Yeah. The word address doesn't tell me honest with you the word address doesn't really tell you anything really it doesn't give you a direction on anything yeah it says look at it kind of yeah. sort of but not really <laughs> I don't know I think I think if the if we're looking at getting information from the public on an issue like this mm -hmm. you kind of have to maybe think of wording it as a positive or negative and then have a response because you said address digital signs in the town and somebody said yeah yeah what have i told you that's fair uh, i will go and double i mean all of the these bullet points here they're paraphrasing i didn't do direct quotes in the report so i will go and double check to see if there was a positive or negative connotation to that comment and possibly do an amendment and edit to, and to reflect that no it doesn't it, matter to me which it yeah. is it's just that this doesn't really give me any information to yeah well what that feedback concern. was yeah. yeah aside from it's an issue but what's the they're not the solution's not clear so which way they're headed yeah yeah, yeah. so so that that is the, the sum total of the, the responses so we'll use this information going forward uh, but as of right now this is just 
information so that you guys are aware of the feedback that we've received and you can also provide any direction or comment based on that feedback back to us that we can take into consideration as we draft the land use bylaw. So, Alicia, uh, question 12 and question 16. So that's the response to should the town have flexibility in decision making decisions? And then we said, is it very important that you have uh, really, you know, clear? I'm not sure what you're going to do with that information because it says the opposite to me. Yeah. Um, uh, and 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 I think we'll need to really nail that down because and we're going to need to make a decision whether we think that we should have flexibility or that when you buy that piece of property you know what is going to be able to be built beside you or not built beside you right um yeah i found that a little bit and, and it wasn't again until you actually read that one out today i was like wait what wait a second um i see that that's going to be an issue we'll, we need to make a decision one way or the other how we feel about that I think it's also difficult for the land use bylaw and us as individuals. We're not capable of having a crystal ball that perfectly predicts everything. So, <laughs> so, so we'll do our best to balance where where we can provide clarity. Um, that being said, the challenge with that is that when you do provide very specific clarity on what can and cannot happen, not everybody's always satisfied with the response of what can and cannot happen. So. One other area I did see a fair amount of support for was communication with with neighboring properties. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot, there were comments in there about people don't want to be blindsided or not know, and it's sort of um, in some cases we've had historically where things sort of go ahead without the neighbors being kind of advised of something that's happening. And mm -hmm. I think there's a clear understanding of most people that most people want to be aware of what's going on, you know, proximal to where they are. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, 203 people decided to start the survey and 159 finished. That's 3% of our adult population. So they ran into peak electrical hours when they shut down. <laughs> <laughs> Procrastinated, you know? Yeah. So, maybe. It's not bad, given the effort and the, the, I think that some of these questions are fairly substantive and you have to think about them. So it's not an easy, it's a much harder survey to fill out than say our, our art on the utility box wrap survey was. Which you got how many for that one? I can't remember, but I believe it was over 300. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, still, some of these comments back are quite detailed. Yeah, no, definitely there were some respondents that took their time. To, to give us feedback. Yeah, it was great to see. Some of them were prompted by trees, they say. <laughs> Everyone has their baby. <laughs> Again, the land use bylaw will solve their problems. Or give them the strategic advantage. Any questions from the right wing of the party? I'll move we accept that for information. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, there's a request for decision regarding the proclamation of firefighters Memorial Day.
Thank you, Worship. Uh, Firefighters National Memorial Day was established in 2017 um, to recognize the dangers firefighters face in their performing their duties and the ultimate sacrifice that some firefighters have made uh, in giving their life. Um, it falls on the second Sunday of September of every year, so this year it falls on September the 8th. I just, uh, my request is that uh, Council proclaim September the 8th as Firefighters National Memorial Day. I think we have a unanimous consensus on that. <laughs> I'll make that motion. You're right. Okay. I'm very. Ken. Thank you. Thank you. Request for decision World Religions Conference. Your Worship, do we not usually sign a proclamation? How does that usually play out? It's signed already. Okay. Presumption. Oh. <laughs> 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 I, I, this is kind of like. Whether they're going to have to apply, I didn't think you guys would vote against it. Daycare discount. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started, mister. You eat Greg alone, but you pay for no. You're going to, uh, are you, you're, you're not that religious, so are you handling this World Religion Conference? Or? No, I'm passing it off to CEO Parker. There you go, thank you very much. Um, and, uh, Saturday, September uh, 14th, uh, the 6th Annual World Religious Conference will be held at Salt Ridge Inn. Council for the last uh, six years have, uh, or this is the sixth year holding it, and council has uh, every year supported it, and uh, so we just have a uh, basic enabling motion. Who's going to do the honors this year? Mr. Scanlon, last year. Last year. Uh, I can pencil my name down for it, but I haven't checked that versus my calendar schedule to be 100% sure that I can. This is the it's girls of wisdom when it comes to religion. Is she going to be your backup? I'll call around. Okay, very good. So you want to, you're, you'll try to. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. No, we don't have a motion yet, so a motion. Motion to enable Councillor Scamahorn to, or, de or designate. Yeah, he may doesn't get you. All in favor? Uh, uh, request for decision. A double CPA sponsorship. So I'll start this, and if Councilor Ford wants to jump in with any information, he's more than welcome to do so. But uh, staff are looking for Council's uh, input and interest in sponsoring the Alberta Community Crime Prevention Association conference. Uh, some of the programs they have, they have in place, um, and this is next May in Edmonton. So under the council's uh, strategic plan, crime prevention in the form of safe caring and clean neighborhoods does form one of the pillars of the plan. Um, and there's been several items that have has been implemented to uh, try to ensure the success of, of the plan, which would include regional SEPTED workshops or the Lock It or Lose It campaign, 
plus other initiatives that have taken place. So the mandate of the association is to promote the training, education, and dissemination of crime prevention related information throughout the province, um, which also aligns with the council's strategic plan. So again, as I mentioned, we're gauging council's interest if you want to uh, support or provide a sponsorship towards towards the event. Um, the last couple pages of the report talk about the options that are available um, anywhere from a platinum sponsor, which we're not suggesting, all the way down to a coffee break sponsor, which is something which would be in line with um, what we would consider, whether it's coffee break or breakfast or something similar. Um, so again, there's a couple options there. Really what we're looking for at this point is council's interest in doing this or declining it. Um, and then if so, um, it's probably a, uh, a minimal amount. Uh, we'll just find the budget space for it. If it happens this year's budget or next year's budget, again, we're just looking for council's interest and then the level of interest, if so, inclined. Just so council's aware, myself and uh, uh, Councillor uh, Karina Williams from Northern Sunrise County are both on the ACCPA board and this year her and I are working very hard to organize their trade show at this conference and we're bringing we're attempting to bring a lot of uh, of uh, trade show exhibitors from northern Alberta uh, the one we're looking at right now um, which I briefly spoke to some council members about is a gentleman by the name of Darren Boyer who has been on CBC he's also designed an app called light catch which is an active reporting a crime reporting app. Um, the RCMP in Grand Prairie has worked with it. This gentleman's from Grand Prairie and he'll also be attending the, uh, the conference this year as an exhibitor. But uh, the main the main thing is getting uh, the town of Peace River getting their name out in the province. And uh, like I say, we're working really hard in getting Northern Alberta involved with, the, with all the crime that's going on in the prevention and education piece of this. So you want to make a motion then, Mr. Ford? Yeah, I'd make the make the motion to sponsor the ACCPA um, conference uh, with uh, council, or pardon me, with administration's recommendation of the three hundred and fifty dollar coffee break sponsorship. Okay, all in favor? Another request for a decision on the medical clinic tour. Uh, yes, so we have received word from Northern Sunrise County that they are proposing a tour of the um, construction of the primary care center that's in progress and they're hoping for a formal opening sometime later this fall or early winter, but they are doing a tour for the partners or the project partners to tour the facility on September uh, 17th, I believe 5 p.m. So if council or any councillors are interested, we are looking for an, uh, an enabling motion to allow them to to attend and get first view of the facility. Okay. Maybe point out some places that need some painting or provide other opinion pieces at this time. Just so that NS, we don't want NS, maybe we'll refrain from that. We don't okay. want NSC to come, come down here requesting more money for soft costs. <laughs> uh, so we're going to make a motion on this. 
Okay, all in favor? Passed. Your Worship, just as you're winding up new business and on the business of enabling, I wrote August 29th on my calendar that there's a minister in Peace River that we're meeting with. And we wanted an enabling motion for that meeting. I had Nate, is it Klubish? And he's the Alberta service minister. Is that in order or or not? That's um, the addenda, sir. That's the next item. It's in there? That's the that's the walk on item that was approved at the oh, start of the I meeting. obviously missed it then. Yes, Councillor Nita was kind of surprised it fell asleep already in my uh, I, too. I, I was too busy <laughs> signing your expense check, Your Worship, so I, I was distracted. <laughs> By how little it was? Okay. Um, so, uh, is this you, Mr. Parker? That's correct. Uh, so, the next item is uh, meeting with Minister Gobish, uh, Minister Sir. Uh, service uh, Alberta. Um, so it's the meeting on August 29th. Um, and it's to talk about the uh, registry, and uh, there's one possibility of you know how it could bring it back to uh, basically Peace River. And uh, so we talked to uh, basically the mayor and myself uh, ran into uh, um, Mr. Williams, and we told him we were concerned about it being closed, and is there something we could do? And then he set up this meeting. So, so under the MGA, can the town run a registry? We should be able to run a registry. You know, um, so that's one of the, the, the questions we're going to ask uh, if the town could do it, and would they be open for the town to do so? Um, but at the end of the day, what will happen here is it's just trying to get the office back open up. Um, uh, Ruth did do some uh, checking into it, and uh, usually, when one of these uh, registries become free, they, they put it on for bidding process and uh, they have not done that with this one here, so. Okay, okay so what do you need on this then? Uh, this is just an enabling motion for counselors uh, to uh, also attend this meeting with myself and uh, just uh, see if we can bring this. So which counselors are attending this meeting? Needham and Ford. And what, what time is it on the it, 29th? It's, I think it's at five, uh, five or is it six to six thirty? Five thirty to six That's at the right. Ivy Room at the Sawbridge, I believe. It's a, there's a meeting in there. Okay, yes, I do recall that. I don't have a on my calendar. I'm unable to make that. Sorry. And, and it, it's it's okay if we have just a couple of counselors. You know, that, that'd be fine. Needham, Ford. I responded to Bill. Scandal Horn. I think it's close to this. It's 5 30. You're too busy. Yeah, I have. It's two questions I have that I wouldn't mind if you're going there to check on. One, um, are there other municipalities who actually run the registry office? Um, or would this be the odd man out on it? Which, is, again, I'm not, no, no, no opinion on that, but I wouldn't mind knowing that. And secondly, when the uh, SuperNet was first being put into Peace River, one of the only places, one of the very few places to go on it, there were schools, libraries, and registry offices that had the SuperNet put in and paid for as part of the deal to get there. So the question I would have is because of that, if the registry switched over here, would then the town have a free, would the town be um, given free, if the town took it, would the town be given free access to the SuperNet? 
um, just because it was part of the original deal. Two good questions, I'll find them up. Okay, so who's making the motion on the uh, enabling? Councillor, um, uh, councillors to attend the meeting with your, your worship, you can cancel my name now beside that motion. Right, so right now we have Needham, Ford, Scammerhorn. What is Mads are back? Um, she is now. Okay. Okay, to, uh, so a motion to enable, I need a motion to enable councillors Needham, Ford, and Scammerhorn to attend with uh, CAO Chris Parker the meeting with the Minister for Service Alberta regarding registries. So move, uh, Your Worship. Okay, great. Um, so we have a report, uh, which is the minutes of the June 17, 2019 organizational meeting of the Peace Regional Subdivision and Development Appeal Board. Is there anything that needs to be uh, noted there, Mr. Town, seeing that you're, you're leading the charge on this? Um, I wasn't there personally. Was, this voting was taken off, so. Um, if there are any questions, I could either glean them from the minutes or um, follow up and, and get them for council. Looks like fairly standard um, first meeting. They decided on their chair and vice chair, determined which uh, other members will serve one, two, three year terms, and then they'll start repeating or um, filling in on that process, plus other, um, you know, other required items that they needed to uh, figure out, such as procedures and processes for themselves. And who's the chair? Um, Fairview County, I'll have to go back and look at the name. And the vice chair Jay is from, Adams. And he's from Fair, Town of Fairview or County of Fairview? County of. The and, municipal district. Okay. And the vice chair is? Uh, Peter Gunning. And he is from? Northern Sunrise County. Accept the, the minutes of the June 17th, 2019 organizational meeting of the Peace Regional Subdivision and Development Appeal Board. Mr. Good, all in favor? Passed. Um, under information, we have a letter from Member of Parliament Arnold Beerson to Honorable Diane Le Minister of National Revenue regarding GSD audit for the Town of Peace River. Uh, any, uh, anything that needs to be underscored there, Mr. Parker? No, there's nothing. It's pretty simple, so I just want to turn. Okay. And the other item on that information is a letter dated August 16, 2019 from the Town of Balkan in support of the GSD audit review. Just nice to have. Who, who's, who's provided letters of support? I understand Mayor Thorpe has put in that letter. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, quite a few people that have uh, uh, responded back. The list is compiled in the month end report. Um, 
we have had three or four have requested copies of the form letters which would be sent to the Minister of National Revenue, their MP and their MLA, and that includes, I believe, Manning, White Court, and maybe one other. I, that I'd have to double check, but uh, probably four or five at least, and something, at least in my records, the neighborhood of approximately 15 have requested uh, information packages. So, and that doesn't include the amount that uh, Director Town also addressed. Thank you. Uh, so motion to accept items 10.1 through to 10.2 inclusive for information. Others making that motion? Mr. Ford, all in favor? Uh, are there any notices of motion, Mr. Parker? There are none here, sir. I'm assuming there's no comments from the public, uh, seeing no uh, public in the gallery. Uh, Key communication items. Who's handling communications for the town of Peace River these days? It's uh, Joe is helping out on the website, I believe, and uh, for this next week. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so, what needs to be emphasized on the. Uh... The media member did send you a request. Okay. Um, what is there anything that needs to be uh, particularly highlighted? I don't know if you want to mention this meeting with the service of Alberta and registries. I don't know. Firefighters Memorial Day. Yeah. Okay. You can have a, get a picture of Mr. Harris holding the property. If we've done enough on uh, the multiplex opening, I'm not sure where you're at. There was a uh, social media post that I saw from my last name Terry Balkan and her kids this photo is online and her kids are the first two for minor hockey skating on the ice um, um, what we would like to do our messaging we've got a newsletter that's going out this week also we'd like to get the messaging out that the facility is not fully operational to the public until the end of September so the field house so <clears throat> this is just letting the hockey school folks so we're not sort of advertising that we're open because it was extremely busy this morning staff are not uh, it, it's a challenge right now to have so many people in the building to be operational for hockey school and try to keep folks out of areas that we need them to stay out of so line painting is starting in early September, for example, in the field house. Um, we cannot have absolutely anyone in there at that time. So I'd sort of like to keep the messaging consistent with our newsletter that the building, as per our schedule, will be open sort of the end of September, October. And it's great, some folks have gotten sort of an early peak, as it were, through their involvement with the hockey school. 
And are we going to get the Peace River 100 logo on the second yep. That was so last week. <laughs> um, no, that the any in ice logos would have been put in when we put the ice in, um, and they're very expensive to produce a one-off logo to use. So hopefully, if somebody picks up the naming rights, they will get that they receive the in ice middle uh, logo as part of their naming rights. And we're saving our money for a what, sorry? Electric sample. Actually, we have natural gas, so we're... Pretty efficient. It's very cost-effective it right now. So Intel, maybe they're more cost-effective on electric, but... So not yet. My, my only point about the multiplex was to reiterate much of the message that Director Bell has uh, laid out, but uh, I'm not suggesting anything different. Um, we need to do a better job putting some signs up over there, which I can talk to the director about off camera. Um, seeing that I'm a neighbor and I can tell you all about hockey school this morning at 8 o'clock. So, um, suggestion is some signs. <clears throat> and, and then you need some hockey parents that don't know how to read. That's another problem. But, uh, well, I should probably uh, have a cheeky answer for you just as she had for me. That's all last week, Colin. Well, uh, <laughs> no. his comments are all this today. <laughs> I thought the well, maybe Colin, a bright LED sign is in order. No, Colin, having attended many, many school hockey schools, uh, opening day, their mayhem, regardless of yeah. facility name, you or not. <laughs> It's all good. I, my point is just reiterate the schedule, um, remind people that it's not a fully operational. Um, that, that was my point. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And, but we do need some better signs. Yeah. We don't have any signage right now. Actually, that's part no, of the problem. Yeah, no, there are. Yeah, the people are people are going in on the uh, the south entrance, and you know, we, a simple sign that said "Hockey School This Way" would avoid people walking up to the door, finding it locked, and then having an electrician open the door, and now everybody thinks the south end of the building is open when it's the north end of the building, and the parade just moves. Uh, way off topic, Your Worship, we can deal with this later. Okay. Uh, well, I'll give you a 10 minute recess. To Shade of their tree across the way in the heat of the day for a while. Fair play.
Means I had all I had all day. Uh, I can't believe you weren't texting me at least some of it. It takes a long time for you to text on that flip phone. Yes. Question is yes, there is a grade seven. Oh, class okay. okay. They're they're out of room one eighteen. So gotcha. Okay, I got one other silly question. Hit it. So grade seven French is optional, right? Yes. So what is there instead of French? The free Whatever period. other options are, or exploratories are offered during that time. So oh, okay. it might be like my guitar class, or there'll be a phys ed option. Okay. Yeah, it's only if they're going on the uh, Quebec trip that they have to take. That's the have to. I don't. Yeah. Don't get wound up. 